Thank you, Leah. We're glad Austin's dating her, aren't we? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Oh boy, I'm excited about this message this morning. You know, we're just kind of turning our corner evangelistically in the church. And I promised you that we'd do some evangelism training, and you're going you're gonna to get exposed to the simplest, straightest forward, easiest way to win someone to Jesus you have ever seen in your life. Because my, my belief is our methodologies in Southern Baptist life are not tailored to the businessman. And so often it's so difficult. You know, I know when I went through EE and learned all these charts and graphs and where to go if they say this and how to, you know, you finally get tangled up in all that. So we're going to give you just a real simple, basic way to share Jesus. And I've got a good crew coming in here October the 6th. So today we're going to sign up for that. And I'll tell you what that means in just a moment. Well, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Verse 16 and following, let's just stand together. It's not going to be on the screen, so you need your Bible. Some of you got so spoiled looking at that screen, hadn't you? You just stood up and thought you didn't need the Bible. But Daniel said, Dad, it'd take about 30 slides to put that passage on there. So we want you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And I want to preach this morning on a subject entitled, Learning lifestyle witnessing. I don't think anybody lived it more powerfully than the Apostle Paul. And we find him here in a setting in Athens that will help explain where we're going with this. Let's look at it together. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, which is Mars Hill, maybe in some translations, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him, him I proclaim to you. Let me stop. Wasn't that brilliant? Wasn't that brilliant? Apostle Paul is absolutely incredible. Well, I'm going to get ahead of my sermon. Let me just stay here. Verse 24, I just wanted to jump on that one. That's so good. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. 
And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Boy, Paul knew God, didn't he? God knows everything is what he's saying. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets have said. Another brilliant thing. He brought him in a little bit there. Their poet said, For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to, of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. We want to hear more about this. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Lifestyle witnessing, that's what Paul was doing in Athens. And so we just want to take a quick look at it, and then we'll uh, do our sign-up for PSJM. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the glorious opportunity to come in this house of worship and just lift our voices to you. Lord, I thank you that we've been able to sing together. We've been able to pray together. We've been able to have the opportunity and privilege to give that the kingdom of God might be expanded. And we have sat and listened to a beautiful song about a lady coming to Jesus and just having the love that was there in his presence. And now, Lord, we open your word, and we just stand in reverence of this book. We thank you that it is the Bible, that it is the holy word of God, that it is God's message to man. And I pray you'll take it today and use it in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm a strong believer in lifestyle witnessing. And I'm going to try to define that to you. Lifestyle witnessing means as you go everywhere in life that you are sensitive and aware that people around you need Jesus. And so you're going you're gonna to be sensitive to that. You're going to open your heart to that. When you're gassing up your car, when you're in Walmart somewhere, and you see someone that just God prompts you to walk over and begin to talk to them, I find that people are so open in America. They'll, they'll let you come right to them and talk to them about their faith in Christ. A next-door neighbor, someone who works at the office with you, that's lifestyle evangelism. For you see, a lot of people believe evangelism is, let's plan a trip to India, and you know what? We ought to plan a trip to India. That's okay. But a lot of people believe that's what evangelism is. We'll plan a trip to India, and we won't do any witnessing till it's time to get on the plane to go to India, and then we'll do the best we can that week to try to witness a little bit. Then we'll come back and not do any more witnessing again till we get another evangelism trip. And a lot of folks believe that's evangelism. I don't believe it is. I believe if you're not doing it on a daily basis, you're probably not going to do too much when you go overseas. 
And so what God wants is for us to get it as a lifestyle. You know, you can even show up for visitation and go out with a card from someone who visited our church, but yet still not open up during the week to others who need Christ in their lives. And I'm beginning to sense some of you are catching it. It is so wonderful. I'm getting calls almost every week of someone who's witnessing and bogging down, and that's okay. You know, one of our guys got saved the other day, and the very next week, he had his shop farming, he had him down talking to him about Jesus. He asked him the question, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd spend eternity in heaven? And that guy said no, and then he said, man, I didn't know where to go from there. And so he called me up at the house, he said, can you come over here and help me? I got this guy wanting to get saved, and I'm not sure where to go with it. And man, I was delighted too, and I pulled into his, his place of business, and we led that associate to Christ, and we had a glorious time. And I'm getting those kind of calls every week from you, and I want to say to you, God bless you. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. That's what church life is all about, that we might be sharing this wonderful good news about Jesus all week long where we are. I'll never forget, we trained Hopewell Baptist Church about 10 or 12 years ago. We've trained them a couple of times, three times, I believe it is. And the first time we went there, though, Gil Parrish got involved. Gil had heard his brother Randy Parrish, who's kind of my right-hand man in our ministry, he had heard Randy talk about, man, people getting saved and things are happening, Gil. And Gil said, Randy, what are you involved in, some kind of cult? I mean, man, he couldn't get over this thing. That You know, we were going to all these churches and people were coming to know Christ and So Gil signed up, and he came to Hopewell Baptist, and we trained the church. We had a great time, and a lot of folks got saved in the Savannah area. And then I was home the next week, Gil Parrish called me. He said, Preacher, I'm a little mad at you. I said, Why is that, Gil? He said, Well, before you came, I didn't have this problem, but since you guys have come to our church, I've got eye trouble. I said, What kind of eye trouble you got, Gil? He said, I can't go anywhere now in Savannah without seeing people and wondering, I wonder if they have Jesus in their life yet. And he said, now i got to stop, and i got to go over there, and i got to ask him the question in order to find out. Wouldn't it be glorious if every Christian had eye trouble? And man, everywhere we went, all of a sudden, we became concerned about people who need Jesus in their lives. By the way, God has really used Gil Parrish, too in the last 12 years in an incredible way as he shares Jesus everywhere he goes. Well, my buddy Bruce Mason's coming from uh, Cocoa Beach, and you'll love Bruce. He's an, he's an unbelievable guy. He's going to sing Sunday, that Sunday morning, and he will absolutely lift the rafters out of this place. I mean, he has got one of those great voices, and he's the male vocalist there at First Baptist Merritt Island, Florida. Just a delightful guy, owns a contracting business in Cocoa Beach, and one of my closest friends, I was his interim pastor twice, and he called me this week, last week, it was the week before, and he said, Brother Bill, I got a guy, uh, Bruce and I are always sharing Jesus with people when we eat lunch. We go out to eat lunch and we'll share Christ. And he said, we were doing that the other day in Merritt Island, and a, and a waitress bowed and got saved at the table. And this guy's with me, he's a businessman in the Cocoa Beach area, and he said, I want to learn how to do that. I, I want to know how to do that. And, and he said, next time you go to one of those seminars... Those people sharing Jesus seminars, I want to go with you. Bruce said, just, just turns out I'm going in two weeks to uh, First Baptist Church Counts where Dr. Darnell is pastor, and I'd like for you to go with me. So Bruce called me and said, you got a place where this guy can stay? I said, no problem. This fella has bought his own airline ticket. 
He's leaving Cocoa Beach area that weekend on Friday, flying all the way over here to Memphis, Tennessee, then driving to Pickwick, USA, and coming to a training session here on Saturday to learn how to share Jesus. Man, that's good, isn't it? I mean, here he is paying his own way to come and do this and be a part of this. You know what they tell us in uh, Baptist stats? They believe that 95% of Christians never pass on their faith. Man, that's scary, isn't it? 95% of Christians never really pass on their faith, never deliberately sit down with someone and share with them the plan of salvation. You know, when I heard that, I remember Judges 2.10, and Judges 2.10 says something like this. This is the paraphrase, that the whole genera- a whole generation grew up not knowing the truth because that generation didn't share the truth with them. You know what's happening in America? We have churches that have kind of dwindled down to where there's just a few elderly people left in the church. The other day, one of our men asked me the question. He said, Brother Bill, what's going to happen to these little churches where everybody's kind of left, you know, and all they got left is a, an elderly generation? I said, you know what's going to happen to them? They got one more generation, they'll close the doors. That's what's going to happen to them. And we've got churches across America, just like Europe has already done, that are closing the doors. Because if we don't take this generation for Christ, if we don't really open up and begin to do what God has called us to do, you know what, there's not going to be a church in the next generation for a lot of folks because they just won't be able to have those doors open. So I believe we need our methodology, methodology changed. I believe we need our theology changed. Let me tell you, I believe most Christians want a witness. I really believe that. I think the average Christian wants to do it. How many of you in here would say, Brother Bill, I really want to know how to share Jesus with someone. Let me see your hand. See, almost every one of us raise our hand. We want to do that. Because it's just a basic desire we have on the inside. But I know what happens. About the time we start to share Christ with someone, Satan shoots us with what I call his stun gun. Man, he can stun you in your tracks, can't he? And you're thinking, I know I ought to share Jesus with this individual or in this setting. But you don't do it because the old devil fills you with fear. Now, I will try to help you there. Number one, I don't know what we're afraid of. Nobody's going to punch you, let me promise you. I've been at this a long time, and nobody's taking a swing at me. I wanted to take a swing at a few people. <laughs> but nobody ever swung at me. And I don't believe that's going to happen to you. So you're not going to get physically beat up, more than likely, as you go out. I would say that's so remote down the line that it's, you know, point oh 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 one percent of chance for that to happen. So you don't need to be afraid of that. So what else are we afraid of? Are we afraid that they might think we're radical? I hope they think I'm radical. Man, that's the greatest compliment they could pay any child of God, that that guy's so radical he shares Jesus everywhere he goes. I want to start hearing that from our members. Amen? Because that's a glorious thing that they do that. So what then are we afraid of? Let me tell you what most of us are afraid of. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid they're not going to accept what we tell them, and they're going to reject that. And I want you to know that when you witness and they don't accept what you say, they have not rejected you, they have rejected Christ. And when they reject Christ, that has nothing to do with you anyway. And so you don't need to worry about that one. So we need to get over the fear barrier. See, our theology is wrong in Southern Baptist life. And we have this great fear out there, and i tell you what we need to do. We need to change a major overhaul of theology. We need to fear God more than we fear what man says. 
And we don't really have that holy fear in our lives. We need to fear what God says about it. And God gives us the privilege, and we'll learn it here from the Apostle Paul. I want to give you four things to take home with you. If you're a note taker, you need to write a few things down this morning because this is going to be right where we're headed. And this is kind of a precursor to what we're going to be doing on October the 6th. Here's the Apostle Paul. Number one, we've got to learn to seize every opportunity. Seize every opportunity. It's there on the board for you. In verse 16, the Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens. Now I don't know if you know the, the uh, context of that passage or not, but Paul was on his second missionary journey. And he had gotten in trouble in one area where he was preaching the gospel. And they were, they were stoning and throwing him out of town and he had to leave. And so he goes over to Athens and he is waiting there for Silas and Timothy to catch up with him. He really hadn't planned Athens as part of his itinerary. He just ended up in Athens. But I would suggest to you what Paul has and what we need is active waiting. Active waiting. He didn't just waste his time. He's in Athens waiting for two of his buddies to catch up with him in a non-scheduled situation. And while he's waiting there, he begins to share Christ there. You know, the other day we went to Kansas City and we trained the seminary. I told you about that, but I didn't tell you about this. We got back to the airport about an hour and a half early because we finished up in chapel and they got us back to the airport a little bit early. And so when we got there an hour and a half early, we had standing in line behind us three young college girls that I don't know where, I forget where they were flying, and uh, we had plenty of time. So we, we decided we'd just turn and begin to share with these girls and ask them some questions about about life and about God, about where they were headed and what God was going to do in their lives and did they know him in a personal way. And you know what? All three of those girls said if something happened to them that day on that flight, that they weren't sure they'd go to heaven. See, the reason I think witnessing on a plane works so good, people are thinking about that sometimes. <laughs> I love the question when you're just taking off and you hear the roar of the engines and you turn over to your buddy next to you and say, you know what, if this thing crashes, are you sure you'll go to heaven? Because they got their mind on something right then, you know, while they're hearing all that racket and gear coming up and clink, clank, clank. And so, you know, we asked those girls that they didn't know that. And so here we have an hour and a half. We could just sit there and, and reminisce on how great it was at the seminary and how wonderful that all these people got saved. But you know what? It's sort of like being in Athens on an unscheduled time schedule. And instead, we sat down with those girls. And you know what? All three of them prayed to receive Jesus in their lives right there in an airport in Kansas City, Missouri, because some guys just decided they'd take advantage of the opportunity. We ought to take advantage of every moment we have. You know, God has just granted it to us. We're living in an age when it is glorious to share the good news. And Athens reminds me of America a lot. Athens was the intellectual, cultural mecca of Greece. You know what? We're that, we're that to the rest of the world. We're kind of the intellectual, financial capital of the world right here in North America. And lots of visitors came to Athens, and a lot of sightseers were there. And Paul had looked around. He saw all these idols. They tell us there were 30,000 different god, little g-gods in Athens. Can you imagine that? 30,000 little g-gods. <laughs> that means little altars to this god, the god of the rocks the God of the trees, the God of the clouds, the God... I mean, you know, those, those, those Athenians, they had an altar for every kind of little G-God. And Paul saw all of this, 
as he, as he traveled around. But here's what I love about Paul. He didn't boycott them because of that. He didn't leave and say, well, I'm not going to stay here. This is a bunch of pagans over here. He didn't complain. Verse 17 says he went to work in the synagogue and the marketplace every day sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those lost Athenians who needed to hear the good news. Here's why I think they're just like North America. They were filled with Epicureans, and they were filled with Stoics. Man, do I see both groups in North America. We are full of Epicureans, and we are full of Stoics. Let me tell you what an Epicurean is. An Epicurean is one who isn't sure he really believes in God anyway. You know what? I'm afraid a lot of Americans just believe you're going to kind of live. They're going to put you in a box one day. They're going to bury you, and all that's going to turn to dust, and that's sort of the end of it anyway. I want you to understand that is not true. That isn't the way it's going to end up. Let me promise you the way it's going to end up. Every man and every woman will stand before a holy God, and you will stand before a holy God, and you give an account of your life. And you know what? It's not whether you've been good or bad, because we've all been bad. No need anybody in here getting pious on me and thinking, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm so good. I hadn't met you yet. And I doubt that I am. If you do go to heaven, the only reason you will is because the good man Jesus is in your life. And that made you good enough to get there. So see, America's full of Epicureans that aren't sure they really believe in God anyway. And they're just, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Their philosophy was eat, drink, and be merry because one day you're going to die. So you might as well kick it up and have a good time because you're going down anyway one day. Man, I hear that all the time. They may not say it that same way, but they're saying, Preacher, I'm just going to have the best time I can because you know what? This is all there is to it anyway, and I'm just going to roar out there and have fun. Well, you know what? If they have any more fun than some of us who have Jesus, they're going to have a heart attack anyway. Man, it is good having Jesus. Amen? I love enjoying life and knowing that if something does happen in the midst of my enjoyment of it, I'm going to wake up in heaven. That's good stuff, see? But we got Epicureans in America. We got Stoics, too. <laughs> I meet a lot of those guys. Y'all aren't quite sure what the Stoics are, are you? Number one, they were pantheists. They believed everything was God, like the rock and the tree and the sky and the cloud, and, you know, just accept everything. They're kind of like Indians in India. India is full of Stoics who believe they find God and all this kind of stuff. But here's the real benchmark of a Stoic. They're full of apathy. If this country has anything, it's apathy. We're full of apathy in America. You know, it's, oh, well, it doesn't make any difference anyway. And we just, we have that. And the Stoics just believe, just kind of grin and bear it, go through it. You know, that's just the way it is. And so I see America very, very akin to Athens, we got the Epicureans, we got the Stoics. And so these scholars, they took Paul to Mars Hill, to Areopagus, before the intellectual elite and the cultural hub of Athens and said, would you explain to us what this unusual God who resurrected from the dead is all about? Man, was Paul happy with that opportunity as he had that privilege to begin to do that. He seized every opportunity. I told some of you Wednesday night that Mike Tyler, where's Mike? Mike, where'd Mike go? He's probably out roaming the parking lot this morning. Mike Tyler and I had the opportunity to go over and witness to a guy Monday night who his wife Judy had asked this man, if he died, would he go to heaven? He said, no, I wouldn't. 
So Mike and I go over there, and we have the great privilege to share with him. And, you know, he didn't really believe Jesus was God. We went through all that, kind of worked our way into it. And we just began to mix it up with this cultural uh, understanding this guy had about life. Well, ultimately, he bowed his head after about an hour. He bowed his head in a hospital room and asked Jesus to be his Savior. And I thought, well, this is glorious. But you know what? I got a call yesterday, and that guy died Saturday morning at 6 a.m. He's gone. You know what? He got saved on Monday night and stepped into heaven Saturday morning at 6 a.m. He's a fortunate guy. He's a fortunate guy. There are a lot of Epicureans that that's not happening for them. There's a lot of Stoics that that's not happening for them. And uh, they're, they're just slipping off into eternity and slipping off into eternity without God. And God has given us that opportunity. Now listen, not everybody gets saved. I witnessed to another guy this week twice. And he told me both times, he said, you know what, preacher, I'm not ready for that. I know I'd die and go to hell. I know I need Jesus, but I'm not ready for that. And when I got the news about that guy going slipping off into eternity, I thought, man, am I glad that wasn't the number two guy I shared with this week. Because had he slipped off into eternity, he'd be into an eternal hell forever without God. So we've got to seize every opportunity to share Christ. Number two, I love what Paul teaches us here. We must start with a compliment. You know, I've I've watched some people witness, and I'm thinking, man, they don't even understand what it's about. They don't have a clue what this whole thing is about. If you look at what Paul does here in verse 22, as he began to address the Athenians, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. What was Paul doing there? He was starting where they were. He was being kind and courteous toward them. He did not denounce them. He didn't attack them. He didn't pounce on them with all four and start telling them how to get saved. He just sort of found out where they were and slipped a little compliment in there and said, well, you know what? You guys are really religious. Now, I want you to know something. There's a principle there that I want you to learn. We're going to use it as we do people sharing Jesus and as we expand our witnessing uh, horizon in this church. Here's the principle. That in this pre-Christian antagonistic culture that we live in, the first words matter a lot. The way you get started in your witnessing encounter means a whole lot. And as you you witness, you need to look for things that you could say a complimentary word to someone as you get started. Because if you can draw them in in that one moment, then you're going to be able to share the gospel with them and have credibility. Don't just rush in there and say, Oh, you're lost, huh? You're an idolater. You're going to hell. I got the answer for you. Let me tell you what. Most lost people have already done this. Won't hear a word you got to say. Not interested in that. And I've seen some guys do that. You know, just jump right on top of them and start trying to witness to them. You know, I, I shared with you the guy in Kansas City got saved, Charlie. We went up to his house, and I saw a 56 Ford in his garage, remember? And I immediately identified with that. And when I knocked on that door and he opened that thing, you know what I said? I said, hello, my name's Bill Darnell. I introduced that little seminary guy that was with me. I forget his name. I said, we're here. We've been over at Midwestern Seminary, and we're just out sharing Jesus. I said, but you know what? When I walked up, I saw in your garage the best-looking 56 Ford I've seen in a long time. And that old boy's eyes just lit up. You know why? That's his whole life, that car he had fixed up. And it was gorgeous. And he said, you want to see it? I said, yeah, I want to see it. So he comes out. We go in the garage, and we rub on that thing and look at that thing and talk about how great that car is. And then after we've done that, you know what? 
I've already got him. He, 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 he thinks I'm credible by then, see, because I have found a little point of interest that I could brag on him about, and it was his car. And then I turned to him and said, you know what, this car is so gorgeous. But I said, I want to ask you a question that even goes beyond that. He said, what's that? I said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? He said, no, I don't know that. I said, you'd like to know that, wouldn't you? He said, well, yeah. You know, he was just going with me then because we had already built the platform. And we shared with him, and that guy got saved that day. And it happened because we, we took time to make a compliment to him in the old car that he had there in the garage. Anytime I walk up to a house, I'm looking for a boat. I'm looking for a picture of a grandchild. I'm looking for a family portrait. I'm looking at just their house so that I can say something really nice to this person and say, wow, I like that bass boat you got in the garage, man. Let's talk about that a little bit. And then we begin to talk on that level, and then I'm able to come right on and begin to share Jesus with him. That's exactly what Paul did. Paul said, I notice you guys are real religious. He didn't begin by saying, well, you bunch of pagans in Athens, you're full of idolatry, and I've come here to set you straight with the gospel. Had he done that, they would not have heard a word he said. I want to give you a line here, and I want you to catch it. Non-Christians behave like non-Christians. All right? Non-Christians behave like non-Christians. So they're not going to look like me and you. They're not going to smell like me and you. They're not going to talk like me and you because they're non-Christians. I want you all to say that with me. Non-Christians behave like... Yeah. They behave like non-Christians. Don't antagonize them until you've had the opportunity to share them with them what Jesus can do in their life and see them make a commitment. One of the men in our church came to me last week, and this is what's so good. He said, Brother Bill, I'm sharing Jesus with a guy, and he's got a real drinking problem. He said, does he have to get that problem straightened out before he can get saved? Y'all answer that. No. And boy, I was glad he asked me that question. No, he doesn't have to get that problem straightened out. Matter of fact, he can't get it straightened out. Until he gets saved. We got this thing so backwards, haven't we? Well, we'll let you in if you'll get everything all cleaned up, get the smelling good, get your hair straightened out, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying First Baptist counts, because we're better than that, amen? We don't care around here. But I'm going to tell you what, 50% of the churches in America, you're not going in if you don't smell right, look good, cut your hair, blah, 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 blah. Because they have no clue about salvation anyway. I told you what my brother always says. He said, we got to catch the fish before we clean them. And I see some guys with the fillet knife out trying to get the fish before they get him caught. Poor dudes down the water got the fillet knife out. Yeah! Trying to rip the fillets off from him. It just doesn't work that way. You get Jesus in your heart, then you start getting the power to deal with the struggles in your life. It may take someone a month or a year or five years to get things worked out of their lives once they get saved. But that's wonderful. That's God's process. And so it starts with that understanding of Jesus. Salvation is instantaneous in a moment, but then it's progressive in our soul. It progressively helps us get better. I'll never forget a witnessing thing I had in Pasadena, Texas, when I was on staff there. <laughs> Y'all, excuse me, I'm getting a chest cold. Hard for me to preach, so you guys keep me up pretty good there on my mic so I don't have to work too hard. But I was in Pasadena, Texas, and First Baptist Pasadena on staff there, and I was out witnessing one Saturday afternoon. I come up to this house, and you know you got trouble when you see this. 
I walk up and the grass is almost knee high in the front yard. You know, just kind of junk laying around everywhere in the yard. And then there's this big sign that says, stay off the grass. <laughs> now, you know when it's knee high in a mess anyway, and the guy's telling you stay off the grass, you're fixing to get into an interesting visit. So I went in the carport, knocked on the door, and this old guy in the back said, hey, who is it? So I walk around back, and here's this guy with his wife and another gentleman sitting out back drinking beer together. Well, I even remember what kind of beer it was. And I know nothing about beer. Never have drank a beer, don't want a beer, don't give me one, okay? Not interested in it. But it was a Lowenbrow. Y'all ever hear of that? Y'all are afraid to answer that, aren't you? <laughs> I saw you. Some of them are going, you know. Kind of a green can, if I remember. Anyway, they're swigging the suds down in the backyard, blowing smoke rings. Swigging, blowing, having a time. This guy's got tattoos all over him. I already told you about his front yard. I figured this is going to be interesting. But you know what? He had an old bass boat, old rickety bass boat in the, in the carport. So I come around the corner, man. I got a big smile on my face. I said, man, how you doing? I said, I'm Bill Darnell. I'm from First Baptist Church up there, and I'm just out this afternoon kind of walking the neighborhood, talking to folks. And I said, boy, I'm a bass fisherman, and I love that boat in there. Well, this old guy puts his low and brow down, sets it down, you know, and he says, well, really? You fish? I said, yeah, I fish. So we sat down, and for about 15 minutes, we talked fishing. Man, I told him about the last bass trip I'd had and the fish we'd caught, and on and on we go, and he's, he's interchanging with me, and all of a sudden, you know, he's just, he's beginning to get right in there with me. You know, we're communicating together, and uh, after that, I asked him the question. I said, sir, if you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? No, I wouldn't go to heaven. I said, would you like to? He said, well, tell me how. I said, all right, I'd like to tell you how. After about one hour with this old guy, he's got tattoos all over him. He's drinking low and brow beer. He's got a cigarette. I'm dodging the smoke every time he blows it, you know, because I don't like that stuff blowing on me. And I'm dodging the smoke while he's blowing. And, and, and you know, instead of me having a Baptist hissy, you know what I'm saying? You're drinking a beer? Man, have I got the word for you? You know, some of, some of our guys have no idea what they're doing. Don't bruise the fruit. Amen? Don't bruise the fruit. You can't jerk peaches off the tree till they're ready. And so I'm just working with the guy and loving him, breathing his old horrible smoke. I'm going oh, to myself. I'm thinking, quit blowing that on me. But he's just blowing it on me and drinking his beer while I'm talking to him, just going right after it. But you know what? After one hour, the guy set the low and brow down stomped the cigarette out, bowed his head, and asked Jesus in his heart. The next Sunday, when I gave the, we gave the invitation at First Baptist Pasadena, you know who one of the first guys down the aisle was? My old buddy that was drinking the low and brow beer and smoking the cigarette that day. Here he came down that aisle. He and his wife made public professions of faith in our church. You see, we've got to learn how to do it. Paul said... Start with a compliment. I perceive that all, in all things you're very religious. And those people, they identify with that. Then he did a third thing that's so wise. He searched for connectors. He connected in here with these people. He had looked at those 30,000 altars out there and finally came to one that said, to the unknown God, an altar to the unknown God. Paul took time to learn about that city. He found a point of contact. He brought them from their world to the gospel it became a springboard for the gospel, and he brilliantly used this. He said, you know what? I found this uh, 
altar that you guys have to the unknown God. And here's what he said to him. He said, you know what? I know that God. I know that God of the altar of the unknown God. His name is Jesus. And then Paul began to just fill in all the gaps and proclaim what Christ could do. And he found the common ground and the connector. You know, back to the story of the guy that got saved Monday night and died Saturday. Whenever Mike and I were witnessing to that guy, he was real hard at first. I mean, he was like, you know, and he had lived a pretty rough life. And he was giving me every test he could. And he was saying, no, nah, I'm not interested in this. Don't, you know, don't believe, I don't believe in Jesus, blah, 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 blah. Here we go. But then he said this. He said, preacher, faith is hard for me. I said, I understand that. He said, let me tell you why it's hard for me. He said, in college, I minored in chemistry. And he said, I found out in chemistry, you just can't work it out and circle the answer. You know, and face that way, way to me. I just can't work it out and circle the answer. But in physics, he said, I did good in physics because I could work the answer out and find the answer. And I looked at him and I said, you know what, that is so wonderful. I said, that is a great observation you've made. I said, because faith is difficult sometimes. And I said, I understand the chemistry part of it. So he and I started talking chemistry. Then we started talking physics. And you know what? He began to really open up to me then. He began to just perk up and pay attention to what I had to say. Because we found the connector. We found the thing that connected us. And then ultimately he, he gave his life to Christ. We've got to look for those connectors and bring them in and let it happen. Don't try to jump on top of them with the gospel. Develop the connectors and move in. Develop the connectors and move in. You know, Betty Brown. Betty, where are you? There she is. She came to me last week. She'd been off visiting her family, and she was flying back in on the airplane. She said, you know what? You've been talking about asking that question to everybody. So I thought, this guy sat down next to me, and she said, I turned to him and said, if you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? And she said, the guy said, no, I don't know that. And so she spent the rest of the flight telling him how to get saved, and he bowed his head on that airplane and got saved. God bless you, Betty. That's exactly where it is. Now she's getting follow-up material, and we're mailing follow-up material to that guy who prayed on the airplane. See, searching for the connectors, finding them. Shelly called me this week. She led someone to Christ. She was so thrilled. Judy was responsible for us going over and visiting this guy on Monday night to begin with because she's the one that called and said he needs it. Ray Rittenauer has been witnessing to a guy and came to me and talked to me a little bit about that. You know, this is where it is, guys. This is where it is. This is what church needs to be. And so you just find someone out there that God targets for you. You don't have to go to South America. It's okay to go. Listen. But you don't have to go to South America to find someone lost. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to India. They're all over the place. They live in the counts area. And they need Jesus, and God wants to use us, and we're going to find those connectors. And the last thing Paul did, boom, he just shared Christ with them. He just took off from 24 on. He began with creation. He said, God is the creator to be worshipped, not the creation to be worshipped, because they worship the creation, not the creator. And Paul had to invert that whole thing for them, for them to understand. I love where he started. You know, our eternal life track, the first verse we have in point one, and there's Genesis 1-1. We begin with the first verse in the Bible, that God is the creator of the universe. And Paul began right there. Jesus is the creator. He talked about Abraham. He pulled their poets in. Then he said, you've got to repent of your sin and let them right on down. Three responses to Paul sharing with the Athenians. Number one, some of them sneered at him. You know, every once in a while you'll have that, not real often, but occasionally. Saturday, as we go out sharing Christ in this community, we'll have 
a few folks maybe say, eh, I'm not interested, close the door. That's okay. You know, we'll just shake the dust off our feet and go to the next house and begin to share there. So that's going to happen. But number two, some of them were curious. They said, tell us more about this. We want to learn more about this Jesus that you're talking about. And number three, it said some were converted. They believed and they followed. They started traveling with Paul and wanted to, wanted to be a part of the ministry and the kingdom of God. Well, on October 6th, we're just going to take a giant step forward. We're going to learn some things. I'm bringing some guys in to help us. We're going to be a part of us. We're going to have team leaders for all of our teams so that when we go out, if you're not comfortable sharing, listen to me carefully, if you're not comfortable with sharing yet, you won't have to. Is that a deal? But I believe you will be. See, I believe you'll learn enough in that session that you'll want to go ahead and give it a shot. But if you're not, you won't have to. We'll have that taken care of. And uh, some of you are still going to come, and your knees are going to be knocking anyway. But God's going to use you as you step through your fear and let God do that work in your life. You know, it was interesting on sign-ups. People call me. Monty and Robin are out of town. They went to the UT game yesterday, and he called me up, and he said, uh, uh, well, he actually sent it through Daniel. Daniel went over and did some work for the computer yesterday. He sent word back to me and said, sign us up on the list. We want to be there for training. We want to learn how to share Jesus. So we're going to sign up for them. Jim, you just put their name down when you put your name down. My kids, I didn't think they were going to be here today, so I was signing up for them. But they drove in. Y'all can sign for yourself in a minute, okay? You know, David said, Daddy, wasn't an iron 20 minutes from Collierville. I don't recommend you try that, but anyway, that's how he, he's here in iron 20 minutes. Somehow he knows how to do it, and uh, there they are. Bill and Edith were going to be out of town today, and Bill said, sign us up. You know what? They didn't go out of town. He's here today, so he's going to sign up for himself. So what we're going to do, the first part of my invitation, we're going to have six pads. Jim, won't you just put those out for me right now while I'm finishing up here on the invitation? We're going we're gonna to put one all the way out on that wing out there, Jim, on the, on the rail. So they're coming up there. And I'm going to call for you from all over the auditorium to make a commitment to sign up. Say, I want to learn how. I'm going to come. I'm going to sign up for it. And choir, y'all just come right on out of the choir loft and sign up so you have your opportunity. We're going to make a commitment before Jesus that we're going to do the best we can to learn how. And we will do the best we can to train you how, okay? And this is just a start, folks. It's just a start. It's a very minute start in a philosophy that I believe is the philosophy of Jesus. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that philosophy tonight, a sermon entitled Reclaiming the Parable. You'll like it, okay? And we're going to develop the philosophy of Jesus. And so that's all we're doing is kind of getting a start, but it'll be a blessing as we do that. Let's stand together. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> there are some of you here who have made a profession of your faith this week. You've trusted Christ, and you'll want to come and make that public before the church. Be unashamed of Jesus.